0: Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the EM Over Easy podcast. I am Andy Little, joined by two of my co-hosts, John and Drew. How are you?
1: Great. How Could, are you? Couldn't be better. I was going to say good day, but it's really good, good, evening. good evening. Good evening. Yes. It is good evening. We have two very special guests with us, some of our folks
0: from Vapotherm. We'll let them introduce themselves. Gents, thanks for hopping on.
2: Thank you so much, Andy, for having us on. I'm Matt Pavlichko. I am one of the hosts of RT Sidebar a podcast that learned from EM Over Easy. Yes, it was a little dangerous, but we made it work out. But we're a podcast about respiratory therapy and about doing great stuff in respiratory. And I'm here with my amazing colleague and fellow EM doc, Kirk Hinkley.
3: Yeah, that's right. Also work with you at Vapotherm. <laughs> but no, full-time practicing emergency physician. I'm Kirk Hinkley. I did my residency training right down the road from Columbus in Dayton, Ohio. Nice. So there's a question on the table we want to start with, and I think it's going to cause a little bit of a controversy,
0: but I'm glad you're bringing it to the table.
2: So I do a podcast about respiratory therapy, about respiratory therapy leadership, and a lot of times this question comes up, what is the value of respiratory therapy? And you can have good ideas, bad ideas, but you guys are physicians. What is your value of respiratory therapy? And that's what I want to ask today.
1: Sure. I'll fall on the sword first as there's awkward books there go. going around <laughs> the table asking for it. So, Who wants so to do let's, it first? Let's clear the air. There's there's number one, a ton of value to respiratory therapy. I find them to be very helpful, very valuable colleagues, particularly the high quality respiratory therapists. and And I mean that in the setting of Every specialty, including emergency medicine physicians, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? And and we all know that. Just as if I turn the question around to you and said, what's the value of an emergency medicine physician in a respiratory emergency? Good point. Good point. You would have the same opinion of my specialty as I would say of yours, which I think is highly valuable in the right setting with the right players, with the people that know what's going on. And I say that really meaning that I practice in different settings, right? When I'm in my academic shop, sometimes there's a bit of a frustration and at times unnecessarily adversarial relationship between EM in general and respiratory therapy. I don't think that I feel that so much, particularly not with a respiratory therapist that I know are high quality, because I can look at them and go, how's this patient going to do on this high flow nasal cannula on this non-invasive positive pressure ventilation? And they just give me the nod like, nope. And I'm like, good, because I felt that way too. And then I know what direction I'm going. Now, when you take this to the community shops where It's just me. And the next best airway expert is the respiratory therapist. Not only are they valuable like they are in the academic setting for their their opinion and their skill set, but they become truly my right-hand, left-hand person for any respiratory issue whatsoever. And that is actually where I really started to... Appreciate the true value of respiratory therapy is when it was just me as the physician and I don't have any backup. I'm a single covered shop. This respiratory therapist can probably intubate as well as I can because they've had to do it in this setting before. They understand airway emergencies as well as I do. And they essentially know what I need as I realize that I need it. And that's an incredibly valuable tool.
3: So... I have kind of a unique perspective in that I was birthed of a respiratory therapist, okay? I I take back everything bad I said. (laughs) So so I I remember as a second grader going through elementary school, watching my mom go through respiratory school, and I thought she was a doctor. And even now, after 35 years of her being a respiratory therapist, she's still a hell of a lot smarter than I am. And that kind of carried over into my experience as as an ER doc in the military. And and I flew in the Air Force on what was called critical care air transport. And so we had three-man teams. It was myself, a critical care nurse, and a cardiopulmonary technician in the Air Force or a respiratory therapist. And, and honestly, we had equivalent roles. We all knew what our job was, and we got to the point where any one of us could have taken care of our gamut of patients while the others caught a, caught a little shut-eye. You know? So we literally relied on each other in some very difficult situations with some very difficult patients for hours and hours on end in an austere environment in the back of an airplane. And so I got to see what a good respiratory therapist could do. And honestly, like now that I work in a small rural critical access hospital, I can tell you the first time that I intubated a patient in that environment, I put the tube in and I looked to my right to kind of hand off that tube and there was nobody there. And it was like, oh boy. All right, so... Who set up that vent? And they're like, what do you mean? We have a vent? Yeah, we got a vent. Okay. But it turns out that uh, without that expertise, there's a lot of sphincter tightening without that kind of critical care experience. Yeah. So
4: I, my first experience with, with respiratory therapy was when I was working in uh, a very rural Virginia hospital and there would be one respiratory therapist to serve the whole hospital at night. And I had amazing nurses that took me under their wings. I was an EMT and, you know, training up to become a paramedic at the time. And the respiratory therapist there, it was such a cool job to me because they were always in on like the most critical patients. I really loved that that aspect of it, right? And they would get to go to the nursery And they would take care of the neonates, which seemed like nobody else in the hospital would do that. And then they would end up at all the traumas and they would end up at all these other, you know, ICU and they would manage the vents. And so I kind of came into practicing emergency medicine with the view, a very positive view of them. And I'm happy to say I very much maintain that view. I do think Drew is onto something because I think part of where you work in academics and you're trying to learn and Mm -hmm. teach people the, the art of managing airways and managing vents and managing the respiratory status, it can sometimes be a little bit challenging. And I think where I've seen it become the most challenging is because the respiratory therapist is so focused on right. The airway, the, the vent protecting optimizing oxygenation, usually performing lab gas analysis and things like that. I know their job is very robust and depending on whether it's a smaller shop or a bigger shop, it may be even bigger than that. They often have like these other hats to wear as well. I think that sometimes it's a challenge because the job of the emergency physician is to be able to step back and manage the total patient. And I think that's where the value for the for the respiratory therapist is right in focusing in on something that I can then cognitively offload and do other things right do larger management not more important management just different right it's like the idea of running a code isn't always the person to run the code isn't always the best person to be the ER physician, right? If you're the only one there that can tube, you you need to tube. And maybe the EMT or the paramedic can run the code and do a fine job. And so I think where I sense that frustration that you do occasionally see, right? It's more about oftentimes the resident or the attending is trying to step into a role and step out of a role. And you're so used to just doing it that you don't realize that the person standing right there can can also do it. But what I think is fun is when I step out into other spaces and practicing, it's great when the respiratory therapist, when you go somewhere and the respiratory therapist is like, sure, I can tube. Them. Like I'm happy for you to tube them. I can tube them. It doesn't really matter. It's just part of what I do. And you, you know, it doesn't take long to get to know them and have a lot of trust. And I think that's an interesting thing that happens is because when you leave a a place that you're familiar with that the respiratory therapist and you go to a new place, it's such an integral function in the EM physicians resuscitation that sometimes you can come off as like not respecting or not trusting the profession when it's not really that it's like, you don't trust yourself to give up that little piece of the resuscitation, that little piece that you normally maybe have to completely own. And so it's a fascinating thing that if, you know, Like, I think the worst thing that can happen is to suddenly meet
1: your respiratory therapist in the middle of a bad airway. And that's just it. I think, actually, as you're talking, John, we can talk about team dynamics in the ED in general. And one of the things where the ED fails is that every time we go into a critical scenario, we have a different team, right? It's not the same nursing crew. It's not the same physician crew. It's not the same text. It's not the same Mm -hmm. respiratory therapist. But the more the respiratory therapists are integrated in the ED team, the more they understand the nuances of the way I want to do things, you know, particularly like I want actual waveform capnography. I don't want color metric devices. I want this blade. I want... And and to understand. And so that's where if we could train as a team or we can understand or we can incorporate ourselves better into each other's roles and understand what we want from each other, yep. then the value just explodes exponentially on what the respiratory therapist can offer for the emergency department. And then I think also in part with the, the emergency medicine physician can... Offer an add to the respiratory therapy team too.
2: So a lot of times in respiratory therapy, we do NICU, we do PEDS, we do adults. But specializing in emergency medicine is not something we do. Hey, you work in the ICU, you can work in the ER. Should we, as respiratory therapists, learn more about emergency medicine to be a better partner or to be, to optimize our partnership with you, Andy, what do
0: you think? So for me, as we're talking, whenever I've had a code go south or there'd be a weird team dynamic, it's uh, oddly, at some point there's a line in the sand that's drawn and it's me and the respiratory therapist disagreeing about something because they want to vent them like they're upstairs. And well, they're not upstairs, they're down here. And so to me, the other members of the team that Drew mentioned, they're different every time. I interact with every nurse that's in a code. 30 other times that day. And so I've got all these other different touch points, but RT is just going to show up for one thing. They're going to show up when a tube goes in. And and so there's an opportunity because we don't have that long lasting working relationship that if we aren't on the same page, it just is set up to fail. And so it's how do you walk into that? It's egoless care to where my ego doesn't matter, your ego doesn't matter, the patient matters. And so to me, as respiratory therapists, if there was a look, like getting more involved in emergency medicine, understanding our mindset of the critical patient's airway Versus that this is the patient that's been upstairs, upstairs upstairs vented for a while. Or this is a post-op patient that's, that's coming point. upstairs. That's a really good point. It's a different enough approach that it would be worth there being some heavy-handed discussions about our mindset and how we think about airways. Because it is different. We were talking on the way over here, like, we will intubate people that anesthesia cancels the case. You know, other people wouldn't even think about it. But you're not going to know until you go. And so there's just a different kind of mentality that's hard to get a respiratory therapist on board with when they bring their set of skills, which is not emergent care. So.
3: Yeah, I think some of the bigger places that I've worked, I've we've had a subset of therapists that would kind of always take the ER. So I think we're kind of fortunate in that. What we're running into now and, and probably all across the country is that You might have an entire crew of respiratory therapists that are new to the area, that they're travelers, just like the nurses that you have. So, you're three or four nurses that are, yeah, been there forever. Now you got half the crew is from all across the country and your respiratory therapist. Or two years out of school. Yeah, Yeah, your respiratory therapist is all the same, right?
1: At this point, I'd take
4: somebody two years out of school. True. I think one flip to that's interesting, and I do think it's an interesting idea, right? The respiratory therapist wants to, to learn more about kind of, emergent vent settings and immediate post field resuscitation, which is a little different than I've been in the ICU for a while on the vent. I just had a moment and now I'm back and we've got to adjust those vent settings. What I think is interesting though, is my point about the respiratory therapist behaving differently in the academic setting also puts emergency medicine physicians at a disadvantage when they enter, because I think this conversation would be very different if you're a practicing physician where I've got to go out and work in places where the respiratory therapists were the same thing that Drew was mentioning, right, that they could also intubate and they could do these skills and they did these things and that was a part of their practice there and they had done it for a while. So when you first leave emergency medicine, you you have this view of The respiratory therapist always being the person who's helping you bag and hand you the tube. You don't have a view of them being a seasoned professional who can intubate and who can adjust vent settings and who can independently titrate things. Right. You don't have that view. Your view of nurses, right, is is very different because the nurse's job, even though nurses have a critical function in the development of physicians, they also, as a large bulk of what they have to do, still take care of patients. And so you see them in that role. You know that they know how to do IVs. You know that they know how to push meds. You don't go into a random ER if you're moonlighting or going somewhere new. You don't go in and and go, man, I wonder if these nurses can do IVs. I wonder if these nurses can push meds. You do go in, and the first time you've got a respiratory therapist standing there, is this a place where hospital policy you can intubate? Is this a place where you primarily intubate? Is this a place where you go to the floor and run the codes? Because there are all places where respiratory therapists primarily do that. And if you've never been exposed to that in residency, if your limited exposure is just a person who assists you, you enter that mindset, not of this is another professional in the emergency department who can take this off my plate. You enter with the idea that this is a person who is here to help me. And that is very different, particularly if you're already cognitively, if it's your first time working in a very busy department and you're doing single coverage and you've got a sick baby that comes in, a sick adult, and you've got three other things going on, your brain doesn't actually go to, hey, can, can you get this airway while I'm
0: doing this other really important thing? Because it's not how you see people. Peak COVID in Florida. Monday, we said we need to double our ICU size. And by Thursday, it was half of our ED docs were working in the ICU. So I went from 100% clinical time EM for about six months. It was 50 50 the ICU. And I remember my first overnight, I had a 28-bed unit that I had to you know kind of babysit. And it's 18 vented patients, 10 people on high flow, nasal cannula, BiPAP. And I remember thinking to myself, I got to round on all 20 of these people. And so I make a list, and I'm sickest and not sickest. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, I look over, and the RT hands me a list They sat next to me and saw everything I was writing down, everything I cared about, and they went and did it on the other half of the unit. And I had never been in an environment where an RT wasn't just setting up the vent and handing me a tube. So the next night I came in, same one, and I said, all right, so which half do you want, sick, not sick? And so we tag teamed it for the next six months when I worked my ACU nights. I, over time, figured out who the RTs were. And it was revolutionary, where if I had tried to go it by myself with the same mentality of, you're just here to hand me a tube and set the vent up, it would have been terrible. Like it was work I wasn't able to do, but because I got to see the value of that they could do everything I could do for that patient, and they had the knowledge to do that. It allowed me to focus on like, oh, this person needs central lines. I could do things that they couldn't do, and I could offload A-lines and other stuff to them.
2: Not to take up too much time, but do respiratory therapists consistently
0: represent ourselves? I don't know if they'd have the opportunity to. It's fair. Think, okay. Because have we have learners, role. the role that we would use an RT in the community or in that setting is taken up by a resident. It's what vent settings do you want? Like we work it through with a a learner. So when they're in attending, they have the knowledge. But if I was in a non-educational role, I imagine everything I'm having a resident do an RT can do.
1: But I think we hit at the point already, which is it's actually not fair a lot of the times. You're taking a respiratory therapist that doesn't practice consistently in the emergency department and put them in the emergency department. Your, Your job today is to cover the ED. We've covered the NICU and the ICU and the inpatient wards for six straight months. Well, that'd be... No different than sending me to step-down unit to round on patients and be an integral member of the inpatient medicine team. I mean, can I practice medicine? Yeah, probably. I can do okay, right? Just as a respiratory therapist who doesn't do emergency medicine regularly can come down the ED and do respiratory therapy, but can you do it in an integrative manner that is actually value-added to the team? I couldn't. If you ask me to start rounding upstairs on the medicine ward, right? Just as I can't always expect the same thing from the respiratory therapist that comes downstairs and change that to the pharmacist that is used to doing central pharmacy as opposed to ED pharmacy that is cross covering at, at, at 1am on a Sunday and has to come down for a code, right? That's not the medicine that they practice. So really what it is, is it's not fair to put people in a scenario that they're not trained And brought up to speed on the protocols and the practice patterns for the department and the situation they're sitting in. And I see more often than not in the facilities that I work at is that respiratory is the most nimble in the hospital, but because of that, they're the least experienced sometimes in the specific setting. Good point. Kirk, you worked big academic, small community, critical access,
2: Do you wish you always had a respiratory therapist? And what characteristics do you want from them in the emergency room? So we're talking about, hey, this might be a specific place. It might be a specific skill set. What does that skill set look like for
3: you? So I guess for me, from how I grew up with respiratory therapy, I've kind of always known them as critical care specialists. I've not known them as handling the tube or handling the vent or whatever it was. I think we do some things a little bit differently in the emergency department also that might put a new therapist that gets stuck down in the department a little little bit in a weird scenario. When you're in the ICU, everyone knows who the attending is. When we walk into a room dressed in scrubs, just like everybody else. A lot of times people don't know exactly who we are and they call us by Andy and Drew and Kirk, right? They don't say Dr. Doctor so-and-so, Dr. Doctor so-and-so. There's no ivory tower in the emergency department, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but I think some of the role confusion might play into some of the difficulties for a therapist getting stuck in a department. But I think that I personally have always expected a lot Because I know where they come from. I know what their training's like. I know what it's like to be in the back of an airplane with them with really sick people, and it's just me and them, right? So I think if I walked into any department tomorrow, I would have that, oh, where's respiratory when crap hit the fan. And
0: I think to speak to Kirk's point, I've worked in, we we work a decent number of standalone shifts. And again, during COVID, we did not always have an RT at our standalones. And so I was doing, frankly, things that I knew how to do. But it would be done better if a respiratory therapist was there. So I would intubate somebody and put them on a vent with initial vent settings, knowing that I was really good at the first ninety minutes of the care for that patient. But once we get past ninety minutes, vent settings change and requirements change to where it was it'd be really nice to have an RT here. And yeah, I was like boarding this they
4: say wean.
0: Yeah, and they're like, well, wait, you should
4: try like, weaning them. And I'm like, Ooh. I put tubes in one direction. If they yeah. come out the other yeah, direction, right. that was a failure of sedation.
1: <laughs>
0: that being said, I haven't gotten better at like learning how to excavate people because I had to do that during COVID. What should um, you talk about, Willis? Yeah, extubate right, people. What, in is, the
1: what is an SBT? I don't know. I've seen it in an order set it's, before. Yeah. <laughs> but but to me, it's the now when I walk
0: into a critical care room, I want an RT, even if there's not a pending airway problem. Let's get an RT here. Because they have a different perspective to be I know they're normopoxic, but they're breathing 40 times a minute. Can we try something? Like they bring a different set of skills because they've seen enough other crashing people to where if it's a baby nurse and me, I want an RT in the room. Because they have a set of skills
3: that I've grown to really One of the things that we're trying to do at Vapotherm is try to empower these therapists when they come to the department and recognize patients that have increased work of breathing. Right? There are lots of patients that have increased work of breathing in the emergency department that don't have pending respiratory failure, right? They don't need a tube. They don't need a BiPAP, but they're working hard because they're septic from God knows what, right? And so we're trying to say, hey, you guys are experts in critical care. You can tell when a patient is sick. When you're walking by that patient on your way to give a duoneb to that asthmatic kid, maybe let us know that somebody's not breathing so well, you
1: know? No, and I think that's a great point. I mean, we switched in our department in the middle of the COVID pandemic to having really dedicated ED respiratory therapists. And they identified patients that weren't doing well in a modality that were doing well in a modality that needed things that they had the bandwidth. Because that was their job in the ED to monitor respiratory status of these sick patients, that we were able to intervene and recognize things that otherwise, without them, there never would have been recognized. The nurses didn't recognize it or didn't have the bandwidth to do it. I didn't recognize or didn't have the bandwidth to do it. And what carries over to today now is the the ones that are in my department versed in the ED. I have gotten to know a lot better. As opposed to calling and saying, "I need high flow nasal cannula" or "I need BiPAP on this patient," sometimes it's just hey, John, what do you think this patient needs? They need something. But what is it that they need? Because to be fair, I'm not sure what it is. And then we can have that collegial conversation and make a really good decision for the patient. And it is always better than if I'm trying to make that decision in a silo by myself.
2: To summarize, to be really honest, you know, I've, I've done NICU, I've done PICU, I've done adults, and I've specialized in those. And when I walk into that unit, I see my doc We have a connection. We know what we're doing. Just like what you said when you're going through the ICU, that really that connection that you have between the RT and an ED-specific RT that knows your workflow, understands stabilization and triage, that maybe that's a skill set we should delve into as a professional a little bit more.
1: At the end of the day, what I view RT really as outside of the resus bay, is they're an ED consultant, just like when I call a surgeon, when I call OB, when I call somebody else, they're my respiratory consultant. Yeah,
4: and one of the first hospitals that I worked at in in the South, and uh, my favorite thing was one night the hospital operator would announce overhead if there was something going going down, and I just remember sitting there and hearing the the hospital operator say. Respiratory therapy to the intensive care unit stat. Respiratory therapy to the intensive care unit stat. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> and I Love think it. that just about summed it up because you, when you were calling uh, yeah. for respiratory therapy in and the ICU, that was right. That because there's only one in the hospital, and when you overhead page them, that's a thing, right? And it was you know nothing but respect like that was a thing and I think that's what it is right I like that idea of they're they're a consultant very similar to I think sometimes how paramedics are when you're trying to do an interfacility transport right they're a specialist in in that area and you should view and work with them that way and respect the skills that they've got
3: yeah so come to come full circle on tonight's conversation you guys started off talking about the the newly minted residents, right? The new interns and whatnot. I think if, if I was a new intern or, or early second year, I think I would latch on to my ED respiratory therapist who, who can really teach you a lot about not only what we do in the emergency department, but then that next step and what's gonna to happen to those patients once they hit the ICU or the step downs. Well, as an RT, I wanna thank you guys for valuing us,
2: that's, that's awesome. But I also think I've learned a little bit. Like ED is a different animal and maybe we need to learn that animal. And I think if we learn that animal, you'd be like, oh, Matt's walking in the door. Oh, it's gonna be a good shift. So I think that's really what we're looking for. So from EM over easy, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for teaching us how to podcast. RT Sidebar has been probably the biggest pleasure of my career. And I thank you guys for helping us make that happen.
0: Well, congrats on making it all the way to the end of that EM Over Easy episode. Don't forget, we are the official podcast of the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians. To learn more about this great organization, head on over to acoap.org today.